Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. If I ask you to think of a person uh, that would fit the description of, you are so holy, does somebody come to mind? If you think about the phrase, you are so holy, it's not often seen as a compliment, is it? It's often kind of seen as a, as a, a derogatory term. And it, it comes, it's come to mean like, you're so dull. You're so boring. You're so judgmental. You're so stiff. You are so holy. Like a vampire sucking the life out of me. <laughs> right? Maybe that's just me. Sometimes I have felt like the word holy gets used in that kind of way. But have you ever met somebody who you just feel like, man, she's different. I don't know that I can... (laughs) Jeannie, (laughs) Jeannie left. (laughs) I look in the mirror every day. (laughs) There's just something about her that is different. Not longer any Jeannie anymore, thinking about your person. You meet somebody and you think... There's something captivating about this person. There's something that I'm drawn to in them. They're different than everybody else. And if you've met somebody like that, then I would say that you're dipping into the tiniest edge, the the closest edge of what holiness really is intended to look like. That holiness is not meant to be dull. Holiness is not dull. Holiness is not boring Holiness is not life-sucking. There is something about holiness that is altogether different. And it demands a response. You can't, you cannot come face-to-face with something holy and be unmoved. You will, you will respond in one of two ways. Either you will be repulsed or terrified, or you will be irresistibly attracted to it. You will, be, you will run in fear and say, I, don't want to, I, I want to hide from that. I don't want to be around that. Or you will say, give me more, show me more. I want that. that that's a response to holiness. And we're going to talk about both of those responses today in our, uh, in our time here. Last week, we started a series called I Am. And we're looking at names of God. In the Bible, names represented someone's character. You could look at their name and it was an extension of who they were. It was an extension of what they were like. You could get to know them simply by getting to know their name. And God is like that. God is unchanging and he doesn't uh, flip between personalities. He has many names in the Bible. Each one reveals a little bit different character of who he is. And last week we talked about Elohim. In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. That Hebrew word for God there, that's the most uh, used Hebrew word in the Old Testament, Elohim, kind of exudes might and power, the creator, and we're created in his image, which means we don't create ourselves, and we were made to create, right? We were made to be extensions of him, reflections of him. Today, uh, Today, we're going to look at a different name for God. But before we get into that, I want to kind of review. These are our goals for this series. This is what I would love for us to 
to be able to see and respond with. First, first is to see God or to know more of God leads to worship, deeper worship. Like the more I know somebody, the deeper I get in relationship with them. The more I know of God, the deeper in worship I can get. That would be number one. Number two is we want to discipline ourselves to look at these names of God through the lens of the Trinity, right? God has revealed himself as a Trinity, as Father, Son, and Spirit. And we want to say, God, we don't want to just see you in the Old Testament. We want to see throughout the pages of Scripture. What are you like as different persons in the Trinity? How, how does that reveal who you are? And then third, when we get a clearer picture of God, we get a clearer picture of ourselves, made in his image, a right view of ourselves that's neither puffed up nor deflating, right? We get a humble, we get a real picture of who we are. So last week we talked about Elohim, we talked about the creator, and this week we're going to talk about, sometimes in the Bible, often with the names of God, uh, his names get paired. So Elohim gets paired with an adjective. And we get this week, uh, that is going on. We have this week, Elohim Kedoshim. Can you say that? Elohim Kedoshim. Okay, what that means is holy God. Holy God. If you turn in your Bibles to Leviticus 19.2, we can see this uh, name coming out in the scriptures. Leviticus 19.2 says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel, and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. That's Elohim Kadoshim, holy God. God is establishing his relationship with his people. He's talked to Moses. He said, I want you to go to Egypt. I want you to talk to Pharaoh. I want you to bring people out, free them, get them into freedom, and I will lead you to a land. And when they get out and when they're out of Egypt, God brings them to a mountain and he has a conversation with Moses to say, you guys don't know me. You don't know who I am. And I don't want to remain a mystery to you. I want you to know me. I'm going to reveal myself to you. And I want to reveal to you the kind of community I want you to be. And he says, you need to know that I am a holy God. This is the kind of people I'm calling you to be. Set apart and different from the rest of the people around you. Elohim Kedoshim, the God who is holy. Holy God. Uh, this, this word holy, this adjective, is used 900 times in the Bible. You cannot read the Bible and get away from holiness. You can't do that faithfully. It means, holy means different. It means other. Something other than what is right in front of me. This, to say God is holy, or to call on the holy God, puts God in a category all by himself. There is no other like him. He is wholly other, altogether other, different than us. He is high above us and all of creation. He's unique. He's separate from everything. And he's especially separate from everything broken because he's completely whole, because he's completely perfect. There is a distance between him and what is broken. 
God is holy. God stands apart. We get a picture of this in Psalm 99. If you flip there, the first five verses of Psalm 99 read, The Lord reigns. Let the peoples tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim. Let the earth quake. The Lord is great in Zion. He's exalted over all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is he. The king in his might loves justice. You, God, have established equity. You have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. Exalt the Lord our God. Worship at his footstool. Holy, holy is he. You simply cannot read the Old Testament or the Bible as a whole and get away from holy God. This character attribute, if you're reading through the Old Testament, this character attribute of God overshadows all of them. God is unmistakably holy. And he was so holy, he is so holy, that he needed to protect people from seeing him like face to face. And so when he's with Moses in the mountain, Moses says, I want to see you. I want to see your glory. And God says, all right, I'm going to hide you in a crack in the rock. And I'm going to pass by. And as I do, you'll be able to see my back. (laughs) There's something funny. Like God shows his backside. God says, you cannot handle all of me. I'm going to show you a part of me. And that'll be enough. That'll be more than you can handle. And Moses still comes down from the mountain with his face radiating, right? And the people say, whoa, something happened up there. You got face to face with somebody altogether different. Isaiah 6 gives us an incredible picture of someone having an encounter with the holy God. Isaiah has this vision of God. And he says in Isaiah 6, 1 through 4, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundation of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. It's an incredible picture. The train of his robe, like it's it's an example of, uh, or a picture of, Now, power and might and majesty, and it fills the whole room. It doesn't just kind of fall to the floor at the edge of his throne. It fills the whole room with glory. And we have these supernatural beings that, if we saw them, would terrify us. Six wings, and they're covering their face and their their feet, and they're flying, and they are crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. That is the Lord of heaven's armies. There is no other character attribute in the Bible that's described like this where it's repeated three times. Like one after the other after the other. Holy, holy, holy. There is something special going on there. And what does it do to Isaiah? Isaiah, in Isaiah 6, 5, says, and he said, woe to me. I am lost 
I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Sometimes I think it's really helpful to be able to uh, switch translations in the Bible. We get used to reading uh, the words in one translation, and I think it's helpful to say, what is another translation? How does it phrase this? And so that's, that's the ESV that we typically read from. The New Living Translation words Isaiah's response this way. He said, it's all over. I am doomed, for I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips, and I live among people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the King, the Lord of heaven's armies. Isaiah's response, who is a man of God, is he struck with fear. God is not his equal. God is his high king. Have you experienced the fear of God? Have you ever come face to face with the holiness of God and have this moment where you're like, I cannot stand up in your presence. I cannot look at you in the face. I bow before you. When you see God in his glory, it demands a response. And God is not like us. His perfection melts us. God is different. And there's a recognition of this in the New Testament. As Jesus is coming onto the scene, as the angel talks to Mary about uh, her being pregnant and the Holy Spirit coming upon her, her getting pregnant and the child that will be born, Luke 1, the angel tells Mary that the baby will be holy and the baby will have a throne and will reign. And it continues a few chapters later in Luke 5 when when Peter first encounters Jesus, Peter is a professional fisherman and he's been, on out, he's been out all night and he hasn't caught a thing and he meets Jesus on the beach and Jesus hops into his boat and he says, I want you to go out deeper. I want you to go into deeper waters and drop the net. And such a load comes in that they're overwhelmed by it. And Peter's response, Peter's response in Luke 5.8 says, When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. It's almost an echo, right, of Isaiah. Isaiah sees the Lord, and he melts. And Peter sees the Lord, and he's on his knees before Jesus. Mark gives us a picture of Jesus' holiness from an unlikely witness. In Mark 1, Luke sets up Luke 1 saying, this baby will be holy. Mark 1 sets up the, the beginning of the ministry of Jesus, and he's walking around. In Mark 1, verses uh, 21 through 27, it says, Jesus and his companions went to the town of Capernaum. When the Sabbath day came, he went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of religious law. And suddenly a man in the synagogue was, who was possessed by an evil spirit began shouting, Why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Like a demon recognizes Jesus. What are you doing here? I have reign here. Are you coming to spoil all of this? And Jesus tells him to shut. 
Jesus cut him short. It says in verse 25, Be quiet. Come out of the man, he ordered. At that time, the evil spirit screamed, threw the man into a convulsion, and then came out of him. Amazement gripped the audience, and they began to discuss what had happened. What sort of new teaching is this? They asked excitedly. It has such authority. When evil spirits, even evil spirits obey his orders. And the news about Jesus spread quickly throughout the entire region of Galilee. You have Jesus being foretold as a baby even as being holy. And Simon Peter falling at Jesus' Jesus knees saying, whoa. Then you have demons screaming in Jesus' presence. I can't stay here when you're here. I have to go because you tell me to go. I can't disobey you. And the demons run shrieking away. And even, even as he breathes his last on the cross, he dies, there's an earthquake. The earth notices something different about Jesus and responds. And the Roman soldier who was there nailing him to the cross and watching him die, the Roman soldier looks at Jesus and says, truly, this man was different. Truly, this was the Son of God. There is something altogether different about Jesus. And he doesn't reserve the holiness for himself. He shares it with the Father and the Spirit. When his disciples ask Jesus how they should pray, he starts out by saying, I want you to call God Daddy. I want you to know know how much he loves you. Know that he's not just high and mighty and impersonal. I want you to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he loves you. But the next phrase is what? Hallowed be thy name, right? Your name be kept holy. That is, we don't speak flippantly about God. We recognize who God is. We recognize even in the paternal uh, the parental love that God has for us, the affection that God has for us, even there we recognize God is not to be trifled with. God is not like me. God is holy. Jesus has conversations about the Holy Spirit. Just the name Holy Spirit kind of means the Spirit is holy, right? Jesus talks about with Nicodemus in John 3 saying... Uh, you need to be born again. You need a different kind of birth. Everybody's born physically by their mother, and you need to be born of the Spirit. This is different. This is something holy needs to happen in you. You need to be born of the Spirit. And later, as Acts begins, and Jesus is back from the dead, and he's with people, and they're like, are you going to establish the kingdom? He says, not right now. But the Holy Spirit will come. A spirit that is unlike any spirit in this world, is different, is high above, is transcendent, is coming here and will come in you. The Holy Spirit will come and you will receive power. That's incredible. That God, holy God, would come and make his home among us and then within us is incredible. God is 
holy. Do we know him that way? And what does it do to you? For Isaiah, he thought he would die. He said, I'm, I'm doomed. My life is done. I just saw a holy God. Peter fell on his knees. Demons fled. Romans bowed. There's a picture in Revelation 6 of people hiding from God. That one day Jesus will come back. And he will come back in all glory and in all power. And the holy God will bring holiness to earth in a violent way. And in that day, people will hide from him. Listen to what Revelation 6 says. Then everyone, the kings of the earth, the rulers, the generals, the wealthy, the powerful, every slave and free person, all hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they cried to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of the one who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who is able to survive? People are so scared of the holy God that they ask the mountains to fall on them so they could be hidden from his presence. That's a different kind of relationship, right? Because God is holy, we should have a fear of God. Because God reveals his love, this doesn't have to be a fear that, um, like the demon, has us running away screaming. This is a reverence where God is also inviting us to him. But we dare not accept the invitation as from a teddy bear. We dare not accept the invitation of God as our buddy as someone who is just like us, who is here to make our lives happy. God is holy. When God says in Leviticus 19.2, you shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. How do you respond? God's holiness demands a response. It is terrifying. It can also be terrifyingly delightful. So I don't know if you know this. I didn't know this until just recently. This October marks the 500th anniversary of Martin Luther stapling or nailing uh, the 95 Theses up on the door of the church, and the Great Reformation began. He was so moved as he read the Bible that it began a change in the church that has rippled for the last five centuries. This October marks 500 years of that. And this is what Martin Luther wrote down as he, uh, as he came to see God as holy. He said, I greatly long to understand Paul's epistle to the Romans. And nothing stood in the way but that one expression, expression the justice of God. Because I took it to mean that justice whereby God is just and deals justly in punishing the unjust. And my situation was that, although an impeccable monk, I stood before God as a sinner, troubled in conscience, and I had no confidence that my merit was, would assuage him. Therefore, I did not 
love a just and angry God, but rather hated and murmured against him. Yet I clung to the dear Paul and had a great yearning to know what he meant. Night and day I pondered until I saw the connection between the justice of God and the statement that the just shall live by faith. And then, then I grasped that the justice of God is that righteousness by which through grace and sheer mercy God justifies us through faith. Thereupon I I felt myself to be reborn and have gone through open doors into paradise. The whole of scripture took on a new meaning and whereas before the justice of God had filled me with hate, now it became to me inexpressibly sweet in greater love. This passage of Paul became to me a gate to heaven. When Martin Luther recognized that the justice of God, the holiness of God, doesn't mean that God just comes with a hammer. The justice of God sent Jesus. The justice of God looked on us with love and sent Jesus, and the wrath of God came down on Jesus, and by faith, through grace, we are changed and we are set free and the justice of God is fulfilled in our lives so that now we don't have to shrink. Hebrews says we get to walk with full confidence before the throne because of Jesus, not because we can, not because it's our strength, not because there's anything in us but because of what Jesus did and because who he is in our lives, we can approach God with confidence. That's incredible. That's grace. That a holy God would invite us and make a way that we could stand, stand before him. We recognize Jesus as holy, that he came for us, that he saw us in our sin He loved us, didn't want us to perish, but to live. And he died in that great exchange. Grace is only amazing when we know we don't deserve it. Grace is only amazing when we know we don't deserve it. When we stand in front of the holy God and say, there is nothing just in me that deserves this. And God, you invite me. God, you invite me. I don't have to run. I don't have to hide. I don't have to fear as a mountain fall on me to keep me from God. Jesus brought me back. Do you have a deep, deep reverence for God? I think we tend to fall into one of two categories. Either we think God is a hammer, God is justice, and God is holiness, right? And we think God deals harshly with us. And we grow up thinking that. And we live in shame, and we live in condemnation, and we live because I could, I could never pick my eyes up to look at a holy God. We either take that route, or we take the route that God is love. And we say, God would never hurt me. God would never do anything Uh, that would be uncomfortable for me. And it's not either or. 
God is at the same time holy and loving. We at the same time should have a deep fear, a deep reverence of him, and know that we are welcome at the table. Know that we are, we are children of God. The, the Gospel of John starts with this incredible bit of prose where John is being so, his words are brilliant. He says, to everybody who believed in Jesus and received him, he gave the right to become children of God. So I am no longer a slave to fear. I'm a child of God. I'm no longer a slave to the fear that is within me. God gave me the right. I didn't earn it. God gave me the right to be his child. If you feel the Holy Spirit calling you, know that he's calling your name. Know that God wants you as his child. And your your appropriate response is to bow. Your appropriate response is to bow before Jesus and say, I will give you my life in exchange for your life. I will receive this gift and I will bow before you. There's passive response and there's active response. Passively, that means what gets done to you. You were created in the image of a holy God. That means you're different. Man and woman together are created in God's image, right? Humankind is created in God's image. That makes humankind set apart from the rest of creation. While all of creation is beautiful, while all of creation is awe-inspiring and breathtaking, there is something sacred about people. Because God created people, and people alone in his image. So... I think we should be kind to animals. I don't think we should abuse animals. They're a part of God's creation. But even more than that, like way more than that, the way we treat people, the way we treat holy people made in the image of a holy God, different and set apart from all of creation, that means something, and you're a part of it. You are created with the stuff of holiness. And in Jesus, if you have received Jesus, the sin that has tarnished the holiness is wiped away. And in that one moment, in that great exchange, God made you perfect. God made you holy. It's not just a someday I'll be holy before God. In Jesus and Jesus alone, you've been made holy. But now the active, right? Because he says, be holy. That means, like, do something. Do something. Cooperate with this. It doesn't mean create this on your own, but cooperate with what God is doing in you. And I think Jesus gets at this in Matthew 5. He says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. And then he says, you're the light of the world. And light in the day, light was what? Is meant to be seen. You can't not see a light in the dark, right? The dimmest light in the dark shows up. 
But Jesus uses this phrase, you are the salt of the earth. And salt had a number of different uh, properties and values to it. And I think where light is meant to be seen, salt is meant to be different. Salt is recognized as different. That is, be seen. Let people identify with you. Have relationship with people, but also be different. You are the light and you are the salt. Be seen and be different. Different in salt is salt was recognized for its purity. There was something about this blazing white, uh, beautiful salt that people revered salt simply simply because of its purity. We're called to take on a high standard. As we follow Jesus, we live honest lives. We live lives full of integrity, with diligence and high morals. We are meant to live as an example to others, not as a dull, judgmental, uh, life-sucking example but as an example, I'm going to be different. Purity. There's also in salt a preservation quality. So they didn't have refrigerators and they didn't have ice. So they preserved uh, meat with salt. If you get the chance to uh, come to Goodell in Senegal with a team one day, if we go to a market, you can walk into the market and they've got fish piled up, dried fish piled up on a table, sitting out in 100 degree heat. And you're like, how is that how good? <laughs> and you realize the fish has been heavily salted. And the salt is working in it to keep rot from happening. There is a preservation quality to salt. And when Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, it means we, the world should look different because of us. There should be a preservation quality, that it should be better. It should, it should have less rot when we're around, right? Not more. Like you come into a group and the whole group is like, oh. You come into a group and you're like, oh, that person just brought us to here. And again, not because it's like, look, I'm watching you. Pick it up. Because you're different. Because you're different. There's a preservation quality to salt. And finally, maybe the most noticeable characteristic of salt is what? It's flavor. Salt is added to things and you go, yes, that tastes good now. Things that wouldn't taste good, you, you add it. Like Micah, my son this morning, had an egg as a second breakfast. And he said, Dad, can I put the salt on it? Mm -hmm, but be careful, right? You crank it and you crank it and you crank it and all of a sudden it's not an egg anymore. It's something different. Salt makes things taste better. It brings out the flavor. It's desirable. If you are the salt of the earth, if you're living that, you live loving life. And the people in your life are brought up by it. They see something savory in you. They see something delightful in you. They see something tasty in you to say, I want that. I want that. I want that. Not the derogatory, you are so holy, please don't come around because then I feel awkward. 
right? It's not that. It's a, we, I want more relationship with you because I'm drawn to the difference. I'm drawn to the difference. C.S. Lewis wrote, how little people know who think that holiness is dull. When one meets the real thing, it's irresistible. You look at Tyler this morning and his story, and he says, God has been working on my holiness, right? That God in me, not me in me, God in me has, has made a transformation, and I am walking this out. I am working this out with Jesus now. You feel like Tyler has a call toward holiness in his life? Absolutely. God is working in him in that way. And it's not defeating, and it's not condemning, and it's not shame-producing. It comes out in identity as a child, as a son of God. If you are in Christ, you don't need to fear God. Not in a timid way. You should have a fear of God in a deep reverence kind of way. The holiness of God is not boring. The holiness of God is awe-inspiring. We worship the holy God who came to make us holy, who came to make us holy. And we join with him in living lives that reflect him, made in his image. We reveal how different he is. Let's pray. God, I love that you reveal yourself to us. What a gift, God, that you don't create and then set us off by ourselves and stay distant, that you create and reveal, that you continue to open our eyes up to who you are. God, may we see you more fully. May we see your holiness. Would you show that to us? And would you strike us? with how different you are. Father, I pray right now, right now, if there are people in this room who do not know you, who have not received Jesus, but who are uh, maybe right now feeling a tug from the Holy Spirit to say, this, this, this is what I created for you for. I pray that you'd give them the courage to bow. I pray that you'd give them the courage to give themselves to you. To become part of the great exchange where they turn their back on their sin and they turn toward you and receive Jesus, your holiness. Would you transform them? Would you continue to transform us? God, you are holy. You make us holy. And you call us to live holy lives. May that be true for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.